Hello, everybody. Welcome to Two Guys Five Movies. This is one of your co-hosts, Chris Gaster. This is Frank Pelican. Uh, you are listening to one of our return slot episodes where we do a deep dive on a particular movie that has not made a top five list for one reason or another. Um, this is probably the other. Uh, hmm. Tonight we'll be doing covering uh, Natural Born Killers from 1994, directed by Oliver Stone. Uh, script initially written by Quentin Tarantino and reworked by Stone, David Belos, uh, and Richard Rutuski. Ritu- uh, stars Woody Harrelson as Mickey Knox, Juliette Lewis as Mallory Knox, uh, the two um, titular natural-born killers of the title. Uh, it also stars Robert Downey Jr. as reporter Wayne Gale, Tommy Lee Jones as Warden Dwight McCluskey, and Tom Sizemore as Detective Jack Scagnetti. It also features a number of supporting uh, roles, Ronnie Dangerfield, Eddie McClurg, Russell Means, and a number of other people you would recognize years later um, after this movie came out. It has a 48% from critics on Rotten Tomatoes and an 81% from audiences, so definitely a, a big divide here um, between critics and audience. So Frank, I know I put this on the table as we were just kind of coming up with movies that would never make a list, and... Uh, I'm assuming this, if I remember correctly, this came up after JFK um, and talking about Oliver Stone there and your dislike for Stone. Mm. So when this movie first came out, though, in 94, like, how did you feel? I'm assuming because of being in the film by that point in your life, you knew about this film, you knew it was coming out. Like, how did you feel about it, like, before it came out and then going to see it and the initial viewing of it? Um... So I was excited to see it. Mm-hmm. Uh, knew that it was based on a story by Tarantino, so that was super appealing. Um, much different than Stone's previous stuff, so that was also it felt like like it would be fresh and interesting. And I I think that we might have skipped school to see this, mm-hmm. my friends and I, or we at least like saw it that opening weekend. Actually, no, you know what? We saw it after school. And when we were walking in, um, friend of the podcast, Zeke Lawrence, and um, uh, our mutual friend at the time, Blake, were leaving the audit, like leaving the theater. So we ended up talking with him outside, like briefly about it. And I think I think Zeke really loved this movie. Um, he was like, "Yo, that movie's that movie's fucking great," or something like that um if he listens i hope he messages me and tells me like exactly what his reaction was um i was initially impressed with it i guess Mm -hmm. um but also a little put off because i felt like it was kind of just too brash and like messy even then um but i didn't really start to dislike it until the coming weeks after that where people started to kind of try and adopt like mannerisms from people in the movie or like quote the movie or um we're kind of obsessive about it in school oh okay um i didn't experience any of that and that really kind of put me off i mean you know we're older so sure sure there's a lot more people around my age that could go and see it right um with you know like drive there with like not much issue um how old would you have been when this came out? Ninety one in ninety four was it? Well, I would have been at least I would have been seventeen. 
think it was fall, summer, um, August 26th. I mean, my birthday's in January, so I was 17 throughout all of 94. So gotcha. Okay. 17. Right. Um, so if it was August, we didn't even, like, it wasn't even after school. We just, like, went up there for yeah. probably the four o'clock showing, and I think they were leaving. You know what it was? They were leaving, like, the one o'clock showing, and we were going up to buy tickets for the seven o'clock showing. Mm-hmm. Because back then, you know, there was no Fandango, so you had to, like, actually buy tickets in advance. Sure. Um, so we had gone up to buy tickets and then probably go to Newark to hang out and then come back and watch the movie later. Um, yeah, this is one of those movies that I I liked okay, and then, like, I quickly did not like it. Um, to the point where, when it came out on um, VHS uh, and we rented it and watched it, I just didn't like it at all um watching it this time i'm maybe a little softer on it now than i was back then because i think that comparatively it's such a tame movie now right where it seemed like ultra ultra violent and graphic and shocking in 94 it just feels kind of um quaint in some ways or antiquated like there's been so much that's happened since then Sure. Both in our real lives and um, in terms of like film, that it just kind of has lost a lot of its impact. And while I think that some things were maybe a little like they're really on the nose for the time. And so one of the things and I don't want to like be all over the place, but using actual like archival footage from the Menendez trial, Rodney King, Tanya Harding, the Branch Davidians um oj yeah oj i think it kind of lessens the actual impact of the movie because it's so spot on with like those incidents Mm -hmm. and and we'll get into this like later but i think even at the time that always kind of bothered me like i've never been a fan of stuff that takes place like now where you have to like where it's not some historical thing that everybody knows because i know that if i you know, you ask somebody who's in their 20s now, you know, tell me about the Branch Davidians. Who's going to know about Waco or anything? Sure, right? sure. Maybe they know Tanya Harding from because that. Um, I, Tanya or that, whatever. Yeah, yeah, that Netflix thing. Um, but they probably don't know who the Menendez brothers are anymore, sure. right? Because, like, that's kind of left the public consciousness. So, yes, yeah. there's a lot of things that. So might as well talk about Leopold and Loeb at that point. Right. Well, exactly. Yeah. Or what it, Franco and Vanzetti or whatever mm-hmm. it is. Um, it just is it like that loses the impact that it had when we were watching it and even the menendez brothers is what five years four years before this movie comes out something like that it's like 89 90 when that shit happens 90 i think maybe yeah um so even that was still like but back then you had like such a broader news cycle that the menendez has stayed in the public consciousness for a long time and then we're brought back up again like during the oj shit mm-hmm. um so in a lot of ways, I think that I was very leery of this movie, even at its outset, and just because so many people loved it. And then over time, like my opinion, like steadily declined in terms of what I thought of it. I also think it's a very, it looks very cheap a lot of the times. Um, I've never been a fan of the MTV-esque, like directorial style of this movie. Um, 
it feels like a music video a lot of the times and i'm not a fan of that style and i understand you know that's very purposeful in the way he films it right um but it's like watching like johnny cash's hurt video or something you know what i mean like it's just, yeah. i don't know it's very disposable in terms of a movie and maybe that's the point but it also doesn't make it like super entertaining i don't think so well there's another problem maybe with it but um if it if that's the point if that is supposed to be disposable i guess but um yeah see i, I had a different re- like when I, I was 14 when i saw this so um in fact i should have texted Bledsoe to see if he remembered uh we want to go watch this movie and that's why i was so focused on your age we want to go watch this movie when we could get into any r-rated movie without anybody like asking us for carding us or anything like that but this was nc-17 um rated so we want to go buy tickets and we uh couldn't get in so i and what i'd be interested in what i was trying i was trying to look up august 94 movies to see what we might want to go see um but i can't figure it out so i should have texted him but uh anyway we ended up going to see something else and then we ended up getting my mom to have to mom my mom went with us to go watch it um during the day on like a matinee on like a saturday or something like that um maybe the very next day and uh and that's so yeah like it makes sense that your age group might know it a lot more than you know people when i was a freshman at this point so um my my grade i might not have experienced that like you and being 14 i was really taken by this movie um i really liked it a lot and um watched a few times i mean this is probably like my sixth time maybe in my life watching it i don't know fifth or sixth um but watching it a few times in the 90s and early 2000s was really taken with it still like i I enjoyed it not as much as i did the first time but i also thought like i thought it like had a deep meaning to it at the age of 14 um but i I forgive myself and it makes a lot of sense because i don't think i had thought much about like the idea of violence in media or any of those kind of things and so these were like almost like new thoughts to me new concepts and something like what you're describing with all the shots of like the menendez brothers and oj and you know um and tanya harding like having like you know lived through those like during like my early teens and like saw like all the tabloid stories and like you know hard copy and you know like all that kind of stuff that like you know entertainment tonight um i it was it was impactful to me i think at that age like and you know because it's really what it is it's like it's really i realize now it's really like kind of like childish and pretentious like where it's like he's tacking that all at the end it's like you see my point you see my point like um but it's like i think i needed that probably at the age of 14 like you know it's like oh right like this is what we're doing to all these celebrities like you know that have like committed violence and stuff um so i was really taken with it uh at, at a young age uh this is the first time i've watched it in close to 20 years i think um and i expected us to like maybe have it's 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 odd it's like you might be softer on it i think i might be harder on it um than i would have been you know throughout the 90s and early 2000s um so yeah so it's it's an interesting that you didn't like it that much or quickly became disillusioned with it i continued to like it and now it's like you're actually softer on it just because you think it's I'm. I don't want to put words in your mouth. It's because you don't think it 
is important or matters that much anymore, right? It just it's lost all of its impact on sure. me. I think, yeah. and I don't really yeah. see anything. Yeah, and I think I went into it still looking for some of that impact that I felt when I was younger and it not being there and actually now realizing that it's a little empty. Um, yeah. I, so, okay. There's things that have always like really bothered me about this movie, mm-hmm. even when I was sitting there watching it. Like I'm not a fan of, any of the things where they cut to a scene of somebody like dressed like the devil, you know, with the black background and the carnival lighting or whatever, with the exception of a couple times when they use that with Mickey with his face, like just streaked with blood wearing the John Lennon glasses or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that is effective a couple times, mm-hmm. but mostly it just comes off as juvenile and trite in a lot of ways to me. Yes. And I think I even felt that way. I mean, maybe I wouldn't have been able to like vocalize it like that, but I think I felt that way back then. I also it's just it's very it's my complaint about Rodriguez sometimes too. And it's very similar here. And it's definitely not Oliver Stone's style of filmmaking because this is a big departure from his usual. Um, not to say that he doesn't do like weird things with not weird, but like very obvious things to try and set a point or um, mm-hmm. like he'll frame something to accentuate some point that he's made in dialogue. Sure. Um, I just find it to be like so obvious all the time here, like what's being said. And it's mm-hmm. so we had talked a lot at my age at this point about violence in the media and the court coverage of cases involving you know because you've got Dahmer is recent to this the Menendez brothers is recent to this OJ is recent to this Rodney King is recent to this so throughout my high school career there was a lot of conversation in classrooms about violence in the media and how the media portrays violence and how criminal activities are covered by the media sure so it didn't even feel necessarily fresh or shocking or thought provoking to see that kind of condemnation, because I think in a lot of ways people were already sort of condemning it. Um, The problem is that it generated such ratings that it became our entire lives is like that 24 hour news cycle of the worst news possible being the only thing that you see on television. But at this point, that's not the case. And I think that what Stone is more condemning here is the Maury Povich, Phil Donahue, Geraldo Rivera is probably a better example, or Morton Downey Jr., mm-hmm. I would guess. It's, it's probably a combination of like Downey Jr., um, Maury Povich, and um, Geraldo Rivera is like what this character is with that Australian accent. But I guess that there's some Australian like media personality that Downey he followed around. Yeah, kind of like pulled the so but that was the thing is it was a news show that lasted for maybe an hour in the afternoon where they had these shocking revelations. Sure. You know, it's Geraldo going to Capone's tomb or (laughs) yeah. Morton Dunny Jr. having like, you know, a black family and a group or whatever, like 
a group of skinheads on at the same time to provoke a reaction so that's where that comes from and that's even like trite and kind of calm at this point too because there's so many worse things that are being done by politicians and you know so media personalities and so-called journalists now Mm -hmm. that it's like beyond the pale of anything that he's trying to capture here right the other thing that always kind of bothered me too is that i'm not ever opposed to an anti-hero or even a movie where the villain comes out on top i mean that's fine like that's really good movies come from that you know kind of playing with those expectations and sort of like subverting you know what you think is going to happen in terms of a hero if oliver stone's point is to vilify the media for raising these people to a cult-like status where they become celebrities themselves and they become almost like heroes to the masses for being counterculture because no one values human life. What the fuck is Oliver Stone doing in this movie? Because that's all that he's doing with Mickey and Mallory. Like the entire time, the only characters that you ever have any rooting interest in, in this movie, just because of the way he films it are Mickey and Mallory. They're the only two people that are true to themselves and true to their beliefs. They're the only two people that have any kind of loyalty. And they're the only people that really come off as like moderately human, even in their inhumanity and the way they talk and the way they behave. Everybody else is a cartoon or a like a Dusex Machina. Yeah, Yeah, caricature. It's it's like um, uh, uh, Tom Lee Jones and his like devil hair like his his snively whiplash yeah you know snarling craven i mean he so i i said this off air we were talking about it the other night i mean he's he's two-faced from batman returns you know or batman forever whatever that movie is that's terrible you know that's a care that like that is a cartoon and that's the exact thing he's playing here um Scagnetti's character is just this I don't even know like this one-dimensional creep that's almost there I think to vilify like law enforcement and people who which I think is go ahead sorry I mean I think it's it's meant to show that there's like this that his cult of personality because he's written this book and he's this famous detective is the same thing as Mickey and Mallory's cult of personality, just that he's on the right side of having a badge, but he's just as loathsome an individual and even more so really because there's nothing honest about him. Like he's sure. hiding his psychosis behind the guise of being like a, you know, an upstanding law enforcement agent. Right, and I don't want to get into this yet, so let's talk about that character a little, that him and the Timely Jones character a little later when we talk about the original script for this. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I think that um, one of the things also that annoys me about like what Stone is saying in this movie um, is, okay, the media is responsible for 
you know sensationalizing and celebrating like these like killers and stuff like that but it's like there are certain scenes in this movie where he sh- like mickey and mallory in a hotel room and he's showing images on the windows in the background of all these different movies like i think um uh serpico's in there and or dog day afternoon and the, the, there's a number of like movies that have that were criticized for their violence um wild bunch wild bunch right yep Mm. and so he's not only saying when he's saying media he's also including movies themselves at that point in 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 this and it's like um so it's like it feels what it does by doing that it's like It's making him just as reactionary as everybody, all the Republicans and and, and many Democrats um, of the late 80s, early 90s that were demonizing violent film, music, particularly, um, you know, uh, black music in the early 90s, um, uh, uh, like rap music. Um, But before that, heavy metal um, in the 80s and it's putting him in line with those reactionary types where it's like academic study is like, you know, has shown for a long time that it's like films and video games and music and all those things like, you know, do not have a clear, uh, a clear cut correlation whatsoever um, with real life violence. And it's like, if you want it sort of, so he's making this minor argument inside of the overall argument that it's like, media creates celebrities out of these people which i think still has some legs to it obviously but to to go into and include film into that media not only is it wrong he's also doing the exact same thing right it's it adds culpability to his um yes and and he would say it's satire probably right I mean, in order to like defend himself, like it's like that, like the the MTV cutting, like all these things are like purposeful choices to almost make fun or accentuate or go over the top in a cartoon way. They even right, it's even animation right at times in the movie, right. like that that it's um, which I'm guessing is making fun of Aeon Flux almost maybe, like in the, the some degree, mm. like that animation no. style because you know animation better than I do probably liquid television yeah i would say i mean that, that is you know the originator of Aeon Flux, yeah. but so it yeah I, I i just don't buy any of it it feels like there's a hypocritical nature to some of it um and maybe that's my feelings now because like i watch it now and it's like um i don't see where it's that over the top it, it's, it's not it feels it feels like it fits in line with a lot of those movies it's just not as well done Right. I think that's true. So before we like completely bury this movie, let's damn it with some faint praise. Um, I, I know you don't feel this way. I enjoy the opening segment in the diner in terms of just from the construction of the scene. And we'll, again, we'll, we'll talk about the differences when we get into yeah. the original, original screenplay, but I think it establishes them as a very much like Bonnie and Clyde-esque couple. Right. Um, so here's the thing. Maybe I'm not going to damn it with Frank Prince. 
everyone they kill in this movie with the exception of the shaman in the desert like midway through you could argue in some way deserve to die the cop too the one with the donuts okay okay the the cop the Uh guy on the bike right the incidental characters whatever Mm -hmm. i mean they show the innocent deaths but characters that you're introduced to with uh, significant lines of dialogue or who are in a scene and are characters in a scene they're scumbags and they're in some way either trying to take advantage of them or looking down on them and like nothing that you could justify like murder for but in the fantasy world sure you know mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. It's like falling down or something, you know, like you can't ever justify the character, whatever his name is, and falling down. Mm-hmm. But you can also, from an abstract perspective of a person that has to deal with annoying things, think like, yeah, like I definitely would like to shoot, you know, that scumbag that's like putting a beer bottle in his crotch and pretending like it's his dick or, mm-hmm. you know, the waitress who's like condescending and, um, hitting on the boyfriend while the girlfriend's sitting right there or you know the scumbag guy that like basically tries to rape her on the hood of a car even after she says no i mean right that's the thing is there's like skagnetti deserves to die Mm -hmm. the way they frame the guards in the prison tommy lee jones you know um robert downey jr's character is a absolute like piece of shit and like on multiple levels i mean um i can all, all you can think of is david gale what's his name for the fucking movie wayne gale wayne gale okay mm-hmm. david gale is the guy that gets executed in another movie yes um played by a real life piece of shit but yeah right yeah definitely um so if his point is that media elevates and kind of gives some like veneer to these murderers then he's doing the exact same thing Mm -hmm. because at the end of the movie number one he lets them live like at least i'll I'll point out another movie that has anti-heroes that are portrayed or that has villains that are end up getting portrayed as anti-heroes that i love and that's devil's rejects right Mm -hmm. terrible people but he's framing them as a family because and I don't know what Rob Zombie ever wants to do because like really that movie's the only one that's kind of worth watching in a lot of ways. But at the end, they still die, you know, even though you find out they don't die, like ultimately you're left to think that they're dead at the end of that movie. So even though maybe you're rooting for them at some point, they're still comeuppance and they're still terrible people. And here they're on a Winnebago traveling across the country with their children, like living a life, you know? Yeah, right. and have sworn off killing so in some ways like they've come out as the only people who have kind of like grown and changed and mm-hmm. which should not at all be the point of this right. you know right. if you're trying to condemn the media for elevating a character or these murderers to the point of being like heroes or folk mm-hmm. heroes kind of you're doing the same thing and worse right right and i don't even care because it's fine with me if that's how the movie ends if that's the vision of the movie it's just really dumb if your whole point is to criticize that you know right uh so i don't know that's really annoying so anyway so the scene in the diner i i like i really like the scene in the pharmacy 
um, when they're going to get the rattlesnake anti-venom. Um, I think it's really well filmed. It kind of reminds me of like some of those mid nineties, like indie movies. I can't think of a good example, but it's just like, it's, it's empty and it's semi-futuristic and it's kind of almost post-apocalyptic in a lot of ways, like in the lighting and everything. Right. Um, and it reminded, really, reminded me of a couple of Korean movies that I've seen at some point. Um, where they do empty spaces like that, like in public hmm. places. Um, and I can't remember all any off the top of my head, but I, I'm pretty sure they're Korean, like hmm. um and, and have like greenish lighting and like, like weird lighting, like, you know, like from like almost like trying to do the fluorescence, like you know, I mean it's a, but I can't think of one of them. But yeah, it's an interesting way it's filmed. I think it's one of the better sequences because I like everything that comes after the pharmacy as well. Like the when when they actually catch them. Um, I think that's like some of the most real energy that's in that entire movie is when Skag when they have like Mickey on the ground and Skagnetti's in his face, like being a prick and you know, like I, I think there's actual real energy to that scene. Um and I like the way that it's filmed and stuff like that. Yeah. And it doesn't go overboard like the rest of the movie does necessarily. There's a lot of cuts, but um it doesn't like do a ton of shit with like cutting to these different people like inner thoughts and feelings and all that kind of stuff so yeah i, I think skagnetti's a terrible character in this movie <clears throat> and is ultimately just reduced to a dude that gets a boner by hurting other people i mean so it's not even like an interesting psychosis or anything or whatever like there's no deep whatever psychological thought to his character he's just a sex pervert you know um yeah, the stuff after the pharmacy scene is fine. I'm actually not a huge fan of the stuff in the prison because it's too chaotic. Um, in a lot of ways, it reminds me of something like um, Evil Dead or maybe uh, Return of the Living Dead in the way that it's filmed. Mm. Um, with everything being kind of at the end of a shotgun and sort of like these really long like depth of field shots like down the hallway and all the chaos and everything um and it also feels like they don't really go that far which kind of bothers me because you're talking about like they're escaping this prison and they're in what like from one room to a hallway to another hallway to a stairway to another hallway and then you know whatever the shower room and then another hallway and then they're gone right like they're just right out the front door down the stairs and yeah out the door kind of yeah um yeah i think that's probably something we disagree on i actually like the second half uh, watching it this time i like the second half of this movie better than the first like there's not much like everything up into the pharmacy i don't care for now um really at all and that's actually the prison stuff and i don't really care for the riot aspect of it like I think the riot, I've seen a better riots. Like right. Oz, Oz's riot is like the greatest. Say you've watched Oz, right? So. Right, right. So it's like the greatest riot I've ever seen uh, on a film. So uh, I don't like the riot stuff. I like, I like the, the the Gale stuff is what I like, um, and I. I like some of the stuff of like Mickey and Mallory if I strip away like the rest of the movie, I like the stuff with like them, like just the idea of trying to get out of the prison 
Um, like I like the concept of it. Eh, sure, um, whatever. You know, and um, and I think in those scenes, that's where the like, in, in, once the riot starts, until they they get way overboard towards the end with like his death and everything. Um, it's where I think Tommy Lee Jones is most effective. Um, probably is during all that because like that those scenes get to the core of what the satire is of that character i think um but yeah so i actually prefer the second half a bit more um i i'm really turned off by the first half myself um and it comes to me at time it, it, it finally gets quiet at times a little bit before the riot during the interview and I, I I actually like the interview stuff a lot still. Um, overall, um, it's not as impactful as it was when I was fourteen, but I still really like it. So, yeah. So, do you like all the, like a lot of the stuff in the beginning of it? No, not really. No. <laughs> just just the diner and the pharmacy. Well, let me ask you about this then specifically. Let's just kind of like walk through some of the the key parts. How do you feel about um the I Love Lucy parody to to introduce Mallory's household. Um, I mean, it's grotesque. I thought it was really effective when I was 17, but right. I think I've seen enough fourth wall breaking in movies since then. It just kind of seems like cliche now. The one thing I will say is I think it's something, I don't know how to explain it. It's, it's both impressive and ultra creepy that, um, Dangerfield basically like improvised all of his dialogue there. Yeah. Like they gave him free yeah. reign to kind of like write all mm -hmm. that stuff. And um there's a lot of like real hard like venom in the way that he talks and the way that he behaves. Um yes. Yeah. No, I think Dangerfield does a I I think he does a really good job with the role. I mean Oh yeah, it, it might be like one of the best performances in the movie. Um mm -hmm just in terms of combining that number one his own shtick you know which is this like right lovable hangdog goof or whatever with kind of a archie bunker-esque like middle american man um and then just the absolute like abject like horror of a child rapist and right wife beater and just you know domestic monster mm -hmm. um it's interesting because when I was watching it, I wondered if Danny DeVito took some cue from that in his performance in Matilda hmm. as the, um, whatever, the father of the family. Because right. um, obviously Matilda is not nearly as dark by far. Right. But there still is some aspect to the way DeVito acts that kind of, I think is maybe a spiritual influence from the Dangerfield character hmm. um and definitely in the way that they film inside that house like is similar very much to the way they film inside matilda um this is completely unrelated natural war killers i just was thinking of when i was watching the yeah. movie um but again so it's the problem is and anyone who listens to our 70s horror has heard me talk about enough giallo movies to know that i kind of make fun of this that's the justification for the mass murder of 48 people you know what i mean like right in in the mind of like the early 70s italian director it's like well you know 
I saw my mom have sex with the delivery boy. Now I got to murder everyone in this Italian town, right? Like, and not to say that child molestation isn't a reason for trauma in life, but it also doesn't cause some people generally to become murderers. Right. So that feels like kind of a oversimplification and almost like an exploitive way, which again is opposite of what, if his message is that we're too quick to embrace those things like that salacious whatever um tabloid news aspect of like stories and stuff you're just doing the same thing you know what i mean like you're showing juliet lewis in revealing clothes and Mm -hmm. having her dance around and Mm -hmm. you know doing the quick like almost like subliminal cuts to like the nipples and nudity Mm -hmm. and sexual acts and stuff like that and it's like buddy you know you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot because you're not making your point you well maybe you are making the point but i don't know yeah i uh, yeah yeah you're right i i hadn't considered that i i don't understand what this why like what the sitcom framing is supposed to be doing is it supposed is it supposed to be is it's it supposed to make, make it more you, grotesque is it yeah. supposed to, it's supposed to make you uncomfortable by sort of equating i mean i'm sure he's he's referenced it i guarantee it's almost a direct reference to something like married with children at that point in time which was pretty controversial for right, sure. you know the portrayal of like the nuclear family mm-hmm. as being kind of like scummy and whatever but it's whatever it's like a turn of the screw type thing like let me show you this thing that would normally be wholesome and that you would sit with your family and watch and laugh at but leave the laugh track in you know leave the exaggerated like movements and slapstick in but then make it about yeah a man molesting his daughter so it makes you uncomfortable so yeah i guess i've just seen that done better now too (laughs) right Um, like i'm saying like at the time it was like oh this is I haven't seen this very much before, but you know, Stone like really. Yeah, if, if it's nuance. you're right, if it's married with children or something along those lines, that might make more sense, I guess. Um, if he's like trying to like take a shot at that, but the idea of like calling it "I Love Mallory" or whatever, right. um, it, and filming it in black and white, um, yeah, I don't know. And then as always, he's always showing like shots from the 1960s, like stock footage of families watching television at different times in the movie um almost as if like this has always been going on i i I don't know like it's a very again it's a very confused thing i also don't understand if you're going to do the sitcom thing is like why is it a why is it objectively like a sitcom thing like why isn't this like um why isn't it like almost like framed like where it's like a point of view of mallory where it's like mallory is like almost like seeing her life as a sitcom so she's not like so to to hide from the horror of it you know like it's the going to your your safe place or whatever right i mean it's it's like wandavision right like does the creepiness like there's no creepiness like the idea is that it's like it's like his idea of like adding the creep factor is not only the language of you know danger field but also like these close-up shots of like her ass being grabbed um you know which yeah is exploitative in some ways 
and it's like but there's not really like necessarily those moments of horror if like you're doing a sitcom if the sitcom framing there should be moments of like horror where it's like it gives you a moment to breathe so you recognize the horror and it's and by him like you know doing this damn just sensory overload in the way that he films it there's nothing lands and right. maybe maybe that's a criticism of the most of it it's like not it, like there's no time for this idea to land where it's like where i think wandavision got that idea that it's you, you needed these moments for it to land and understand the horror of what's going on um where it's well, like yeah. he doesn't do that he just keeps going and going and um yeah it's just i like i said i thought that scene at one point like i liked it when i was younger i thought it was like kind of like whatever it's edgelord is like you know it's like a i think of like when i think back myself to some degree um and liking some of the stuff in this movie but yeah i do not like that sequence whatsoever i don't understand the point of it and maybe i'm just too stupid too but um i i just found it off-putting and um yeah like poorly done overall outside of danger fields like performance I mean, so here's the thing, too, is I think that one of the things that Stone is trying to do is he's trying to titillate you by making something that might be, like, sexually attractive or provocative and also make it disgusting at the same time, so then you question your own reactions to things, which, yeah, sure. there's a lot of directors from this time that do similar things, especially, honestly, in the horror genre, there's a lot of, like, shock horror from this time period. <clears throat> that would do the same things, you know. Um, Necromantic is around here, and uh, I don't know, it's a bunch of trash movies, honestly. But that was the whole point: was it was trying to like arouse you and disgust you at the same time, so you have this like really visceral reaction to what you're seeing. And I'm sure that's what Stone is trying to do here: is make you react, like basically cause you to be <clears throat> like nauseated or whatever by what we're seeing on screen um it just i don't know it just comes off as like crass and weird like 30 years later however long it's been since this fucking movie came out and honestly like again it it places everything way too much in the singular moment of 1994 when this movie comes out you know i mean sitcoms aren't like t- television is advanced pa- and, and that's not like oliver stone's fault obviously but he could have never known but i think like in really good movies there's some prescience to what's coming and i think that stone just kind of misses the mark there too i don't know yeah no i like i said i mean like he he i think he certainly misses the mark thematically um overall like um at times in some of his thematic stuff like um but i mean i don't know it's it's i think it's a very confused movie ultimately um, between the filmmaking and what he's trying to point out and you're right i just don't think he like yeah i don't know so let's do the, the other thing too like before we move off of this specific whatever like scene it also firmly plants Mickey as the hero of the movie. Yes. And if you're really trying to subvert expectations and ask people to truly think about 
why is it that we celebrate murderers or are so fascinated by murderers? You want to make him you want to make him villainous, you know? And there's very few times where Mickey is truly, the only time really that Mickey's truly villainous is when he shoots the shaman, you know, the native American like shaman in, in the mm-hmm. smokehouse or whatever, the smoke lounge is really the one time. And that's where they distort his face. And he becomes like, you know, demonic looking. And it's almost like his, moment of clarity where he decides that he's going to walk the straight and narrow and that's not like doing anything to prove the point that you're trying to make in this movie you know it's and we we talked about this offline too and so i'll bring this up and then we can move on to whatever you look at something like true romance another movie with a story by tarantino um directed by someone else it's the same idea you know, it's the killer couple. Tarantino mm-hmm. is basically just trying to make bad lands in a lot of ways. But Clarence Worley and Alabama Worley are more human characters. There's more purpose to what they're doing in terms of they're trying to rob criminals to sort of like make a break and have this new life together and raise a family. And they're not like murdering innocent people. And it has sort of the same effect, right? Like you're rooting for Clarence Worley and Alabama to come out on top at the end of that movie. Like you want them to succeed. And right. it's the same thing here. <clears throat> but true romance is not necessarily, you can pull themes from true romance or whatever, and it's a violent movie, but it's not commentary on something. Whereas Stone is 100% just trying to make commentary on something. And I think like really just kind of failing at it in a lot of ways yeah to to go along with that it's like um it's almost like mickey's worldview is um also solidified like or uh enabled um by gale like is um is proven out <laughs> in this movie as well as you talk about like kind of making him the hero and like stuff like that because in that interview sequence and look i think this is the funny this is the only time i actually like laughed in the entire movie um by the by the end of this but like in the shooting script i, ju- I just pulled it up real quick um you know it's uh it's this whole idea where mickey's talking about like um you know there there's a lot of people walking around that are dead already and they just need to be put out of their misery and like you know gail comes back at him so you're saying like you know in that theory the jews wanted to be victims like you know um and Mickey says the wolf don't know why he's a wolf and deer don't know why he's a deer. God just made it that way. And Wayne kind of like confirms like his, like, you know, his, his worldview when he says like, you're talking about predators now, Mickey, you're saying the world itself is predatory. When a mountain lion takes down an elk, it's because the elk time to go and all this BS liberal agenda about saving the animal herds only overpopulates the balance of nature. Maybe you're right, Mickey, maybe you're right. Corporate predators, environmental predators, nuclear predators, life is a hunt. And this is where I laughed. He's like, I've seen it, Mickey. I was there when the shit hit the fan at Granada. I saw it all go down. Yeah. Granada and like she's like motioning to him to like you know because he's getting all into it it's the it's the it's the one time I like really laughed at this movie um is the performance by um Downey Jr. there um always bringing up fucking Granada but um but it's like he's kind of like agreeing with him in that way and the thing is is like 
that worldview ends up getting confirmed when it's just like they just get to go ahead and continue to be wolves in this case right taking out deer and it's like so in some ways it's like it's saying like mickey's got the right idea to me at least you know i mean maybe that's again all wrapped up in part of whatever satiric thing he's going for here but it's it's all very weird that's why that's another just yet another reason why i say it's a confused movie like i now that i'm older i don't get it like where it's like because i think it's all very surface level um everything um is very surface level in this movie like there's no real examination going on here it's all very surface level so but here's what i want to do this i just want you to go through i want to do a thumbs up thumbs down just walking through this movie quickly and just like very briefly like what you liked or what you didn't like about it so um opening diner scene yeah thumbs eh, it's like a neutral thumb but leaning towards the up yeah i i I agree with you. It's conceptually, I like it. It's the filmmaking behind it that irritates the shit out of me. Like, I and look, we're going to talk about this. I know coming up, but mm-hmm. in in Tarantino's script, I mean, it's aside from like the bottle on his dick, it's basically like shot the way that Tarantino wrote it. But it's like the bullet like stopping and spinning in front of the you know short order cook before it like hits her, and then the knife like slowly going through the window pane before it hits the guy in the back and kills him. I mean, all that stuff is unnecessary. So yes, but I like the general tone of it. I think it's a good introduction to those two as characters. Um, yeah, whatever. So thumbs up. Okay. I love Mallory. And uh, I mean, whatever thumbs down. Yeah. Thumbs way down for me. Um, and then the, uh, stuff in the motel room and her going out to like sleep with um balthazar getty and yeah that's all a big thumbs down for me same thumbs down um the shaman scene it also so again it's really confused there because i guess you're supposed to see mickey as just this predatorial animal that'll say whatever he wants to get whatever he wants but he seems to genuinely love mallory right most of the time so but but, he, know, but, he, but right but the implication in that scene is that and you're right it never gets brought up ever again but it's like the idea is that he he's somebody who wants he wants he wants more than what he already has and it's like it's like he he doesn't yes he loves her but it's like he also wants these other needs fulfilled in some way and um they never bring it up ever again like because you would actually have to add depth to that relationship and those characters, I think, to, to go any further with it. But yeah, the implication is that um, she gets jealous because he wants to sleep with other women or have threesomes, so she was going to go out and, you know, like... Right, and all it does is set up a disgusting line of dialogue for Tom Sizemore to say, yes, you know, 10 minutes later. That's it. Like, there's right. no no point in that happening aside from just... right being grotesque in a lot of ways yeah. shaman scene eh, thumbs down mostly yeah thumbs it's, down. Yeah. it's okay but it's too hokey yes it's almost like it's almost like some kind of weird cultural appropriation kind of on stone's part i know stone's all about like the mystic and like supporting the connection to the land and he's got all of his like whatever like out there ideas about uh, mysticism and shamanism or whatever but 
it just comes off as silly, kind of, I think. And it's not filmed very well either. Right. Like, I don't know. There's scenes in Arrested Development and their little smoke lounge are filmed better than what happens there. But anyway, so thumbs down for me. Um, how about all the um kind of like stock footage stuff? I that... can't stand it. It drives me nuts. It's so cheap. And maybe it's just because like people really ape that like after natural born killers. Mm-hmm. But I kind of feel like it was happening before too. Like I'm trying to think of when I first saw the video for nine. So there's a movie called a Z and two knots. Are you familiar with this movie? No. Um, that has some like, and there's some Peter Greenaway stuff too, from like the seventies and eighties where they use like the stop motion or the um, time-lapse footage of like a animal corpse, like decomposing or whatever. Okay. Um, so all that stuff had existed before stone just pulled it together to try and like be shocking. I'm almost positive that in the Nine Inch Nails Hurt video, I think that came out before this. Let me, let me look it up. Um, you know, I mean, he's performing on stage and they're showing like the decomposition of an animal's corpse hmm. um, on a screen behind him. And I think that was a big part of the music video. Let me see. Uh... Yeah, oh, so it was February '95. So it was okay. after. Um. Anyway, I, I just feel like a lot of that stuff was already done, and there's nothing really like shocking or interesting. And I think that it makes for a really uncomfortable viewing experience. Maybe not even uncomfortable because that's like his point, but just sort of like tiresome to watch it with all the intercut like the film stock changes and the archival footage and the 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 thing that i hate the most which is the cuts to the like fucking laughing devil shit or whatever i mean it's just it's all so pretentious and yeah kind of lame right let me bring that up real for one moment is um the idea of he calls it vertical cutting and i don't know if that's actually the technical term or not but um i know that's what stone calls it what you're talking about where they cut to like you know a, a either like a how, how would i describe it there's times where he does it where it's like you said it's like you know like somebody looking like a devil or mickey cover with blood and it's like just like a black background there's times when he does it and i've seen other people do this um later on I've seen it done effectively. Conceptually, I, I I think there's cases where that works. Um, and I think there's like two two points where it kind of worked in this, um, where it's like you have the person like saying one thing and it just cuts to a different angle, like almost like within a few seconds of a of their face reacting differently and the face shows their real thoughts like are there real internal feelings about the thing um as if they're being caught like you know um i would say the other ones are out of time but like you know or out of reality but it's like it's being caught in reality but it's just being caught like you know almost like imperceptibly by the camera um from a different angle and i've seen that used effectively at times like you know 
and I'm trying to think if there's anything that does it before this. I don't know if that's like something that like is is comes from maybe this movie, and I'd have to do more research. But um, but I do think it could be effective, and I think there's a couple times it's effective. But God, he overuses it like everything else, and I only think it works if it's actually in the scene itself and not going out of time and reality and stuff like that. With like, listen, part of that the subconscious versus the conscious like when you yes. see it with tommy lee jones you're seeing that he's very much like surface level driven by greed and the need for fame and whatever yes and is only barely hiding it through the way that he carries himself whereas with somebody like mickey it's a subconscious thing that's inside him. It's his yeah. demon or whatever that he talks right, about. Right, and so that's right. why you see it like, you know, against like in repose or whatever against the black background. Yeah, but they do whatever. Tommy Lee Jones in a black background at one point, don't they briefly? Right, well, because he also has things that are like hidden with him yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, but, the, but there's certain scenes what they do with Tommy Lee Jones all in black and white, like when they're in the prison and stuff like that. Like they, they he uses black and white from a side, like, you know, almost like, like a profile and stuff like that and i think that kind of stuff actually like is is some of the stuff that i think that works with that um but i do think it's interesting and i think I, i've seen it used later um to, to much better effect but um i do think it can be interesting um all right so then um pharmacy we both said thumbs up um and then at that point it's the prison and I guess you just have to take that almost all as one piece. Well, let's split it up between like Scagnetti and Mallory. I'm assuming. Oh, it's a huge thumbs down. I fucking hate that shit. Um, the the whole interview piece before the riot starts. I don't think it holds up very well, honestly. Like, I think it comes off as <clears throat> like masturbatory neckbeard shit i think from a right standpoint yeah sir very surface level i think that the interaction between harrelson and um downey jr and the acting in that scene makes me still give it kind of a thumbs up um and what about and then the riot stuff doesn't interest you at all it's fine it doesn't bother me it's it's You know, in, in Full Metal Jacket, it's basically a tale of two films in that movie where you've mm -hmm. got the stuff in boot camp and then the stuff in Vietnam. Sure. I kind of feel like this is exactly the same way. And it's fine, but it's like way too much extra information. And again, making them heroes. You know what I mean? Like, right. Right. In a lot of ways, like, even though he ends up like killing, um, uh gale at the end he saves he tries to save those people from the riot like he's trying to get them out and it's really just to help himself but mm -hmm. it still is portrayed in the way that you would portray like an action hero in you know a stallone movie or a schwarzenegger mm -hmm. movie mm -hmm. and maybe again maybe that's maybe that's oliver stone's point but i think that the way he does it it kind of misses right. the point of what he's trying to do like he should be a sadist he should be you know, not Bruce Willis and Die Hard. He needs to be, um, you know, Henry Lee Lucas or whatever, right. and Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. Sure. Yes. Um, I don't know. 
Yeah. Um, oh, I hadn't before we move on because I just want to talk about Tarantino's original script um, for a little bit. But um, one last note that I had is I, I also laughed during the Coca Cola commercial. Um, I don't know why, but the timing of the Coca-Cola commercial when they like cut the commercial from the interview and the and the fucking polar bears coming up um, made me laugh. I I thought maybe the best piece of satire almost like in some ways um, is that it's like you move away from like, you know, this like interview with a mass murderer and here's the fucking Coca-Cola polar bears um, coming up on the screen right afterwards uh, made me chuckle. But um Coca-Cola is very pissed. I don't know if you read about that. Like, uh, they agreed to let it be in the movie, not knowing anything about the movie. Somebody fucked up real bad, and yeah. they saw solid. No. <laughs> I was wondering about that, like why they would yeah. let it be in right. like that particular context. Yeah, um, very. But that's upset. also a really stupid. I don't know. It's just I. I think it felt okay a little bit at the time because we were young and again like i was never 100 percent on board with this movie but i was more into it when i first saw it but it's just so like duh you know like surface level and crass and like no no shit oliver stone like way to really peel back the onion on the effects of advertising and whatever i don't know Um, god i can hate this movie (laughs) I um look, I'll say one nice thing about this movie. Um again, is that I do think this movie, because I hadn't been exposed to a lot of those things before, I had been exposed to the media discussion around those some of those things like cop killer and stuff like that, like you know, like in the media and like hearing like politicians, you know, and talk show hosts lambast, those kind of things. Um but like seeing an artist kind of talking about these issues inside of a movie I hadn't been exposed to yet. So it put me on the path of maybe of thinking about those kind of things. Um, but I outgrew those things. Like I think sometime in my late teens, early twenties, and certainly by now, like you said, it's like, it seems very surface level and doesn't have a lot of depth to it whatsoever. Um, <clears throat> all right. So let's talk about Tarantino. I, I'd ask you to at least like check out, some of like Tarantino's original script and see what you thought. So um, what were your takeaways from like looking at Tarantino's original script compared to Stone's revisions? Um, <clears throat> I know I think that, was really big for you. Yeah, I think that Tarantino's movie is much more straightforward. Um, to me, Skagnetti's character is more in line with the... Um, uh, the sheriff character in like Kill Bill, like I, who is that? Ray Park, right? That plays that in Kill Bill Part One. Um, um so, yeah, Ray Park. Yeah, I think plays the sheriff in the beginning, and then he plays yeah. the um, what's his name, Don Corleone, Don Corleone, over at the end. Um, I think it's more in line with that kind of character. It's how Skagnetti is written. Like Skagnetti is a guy who is a great detective who's become famous because of his ability and Michael Parks, Michael Parks, right. Sorry. Um, I'm thinking just about Ray Parker Jr. Always. <laughs> um, so it's, it's a much more believable and well-rounded character. So he's a guy that 
is kind of looked with looked down upon with some derision by law enforcement because he's become a celebrity because he's such a good detective but he still is a good detective or you know um michael keaton's character in jackie brown another like when you read the dialogue it's sort of written similar to that like a guy mm-hmm. who's has some hype to him and kind of has mm-hmm. an ego but is also should be chewing bubble gum when he talks. yeah still yeah. still grounded and yeah. still like a real detective or mm-hmm. even um i don't know. anyway so similar to that and to completely take that character and twist and number one it's stone's anti-authoritative anti-authoritarianism coming out where he's always got to have a dig against like law enforcement or the military or something, right? Like he's very much into the idea of, you know, taking power away, I think from big brother and giving it back to the people. So he's going to make this detective, the villain of the movie. And really that's what Scagnetti is. He's, he's the villain. Absolutely. Which is ridiculous. And it's, it, it mixes the message because in reality, Mickey and Mallory should be the villain. So Tarantino's original screenplay in the first like third is much better in that regard. Um, the dialogue is much better, although they lifted much of it directly from Tarantino's screenplay and put it in like the official screenplay. I think it's a much more interesting take to show the trial of Mickey and Mallory. Yeah. Um, and to show them as unrepentant monsters, like murderers. Mm-hmm. Like that's how you that's how you drive the point home of the media manipulating people into like looking at them as being heroes because you show the reaction of the crowds and everything and then you show them as the you know, right. the scene where he murders like the like the sixteen year old Asian girl or whatever that's on the stand is fucking like that's horrible. And I I could envision it like number one, I knew it was gonna happen. Like I anticipated it and i was like oh my god like this is gonna be awful when he writes this and it is Mm -hmm. and it would have been so jarring and sickening to watch on screen because she's written as like a nice believable like shell-shocked like young woman right who's terrified of mickey right and and he's like dominating her by making himself the attorney in that scene and right who's he's he's defending himself right yeah against these you know whatever and then it it in him in tarantino doing like writing that scene that way so that's as far as i got is through the trial stuff but i felt like that was a really spot on but subtle commentary on things like judgito and the judge in the menendez case like mm-hmm. people that <clears throat> like allowed the media to come into their courtrooms and sort of played up to the celebrity of it without ever being reverential or precious about it mm-hmm. um the line of dialogue about like you know do we get better ratings than manson i mean <sighs> you know of course not like that's driving the point home but in tarantino's script it's written in a way that makes mickey seem monstrous you know like and he even says himself that he's not human that he's right something else and I know he says that in the actual movie, but it's just the way that it's done differently and then showing him be a terrible person, like it pulls, I think, away the sympathy for him and the hero worship aspect of it. And it makes him the villain of the movie, which is what he needs to be. Yes. Because you need to see 
the horrors should come from them being horrific and the media going along with it. Right. That's you, your message. you should always see them as the villains and see the effect of the media's coverage of them on the world, but still see their villainy because then it shows how much the media manipulates things. Whereas in this case, Mickey and Mallory are manipulating the media the entire time in the movie. Right. And succeed at it and are the heroes of the whole film. Like, it's just, it's, look, I fucking hate Oliver Stone. I'm sorry. Like, I always try and like find good things to say about Oliver Stone, but fuck him. Like, I just don't like him. And I think that he's got really bad politics and really bad personal beliefs, and they just come out all over the place. And I don't think he understands how to like tell a story all that well. So I don't know. Um, it was Peter Greenaway, Zed and Do Nuts, that did the decomposition of the animal thing. Okay. Yeah. So score one for me. And <laughs> yeah, I thought I Tarantino's uh, script was very straightforward. Um, yeah. And and I it's... thought it, it filmed exactly that way would have made the point in a much more subtle, right. less confusing, subtle way. Um, and actually been something that would have been kind of like quick to the point, 140, 145, and he would have had to direct it. I know his friend was supposed to direct it, uh, it seemed, ran something, Bossler or something like that. But it's like I would have, having, knowing his writing, having read a lot of his other screenplays and seeing, knowing what he produces on the screen, Tarantino would have had to direct that thing for it to be really good, I think. Right. But, and here, here's the things that it does so much better than the way that it was filmed. Number one, it doesn't ever tell you why Mickey and Mallory are necessarily the way they are. Like, right. there's little hints in it. Sure. But at the same time, it's just they're thrill killers, basically. They're mass mm-hmm. murderers that kind of come out of nowhere. It never dehumanizes anyone else to the point where you're non-sympathetic towards them and look at them as a villain. Mm-hmm. like there's lines of dialogue where people are egotistical or haughty or whatever but they're never villains they're just characters it's mickey and mallory are right. villains and they're self-admitted villains and they're never presented as anything else and it's like you know what it's like it's like ordell in jackie brown to bring that up again mm-hmm. cool dude great dialogue samuel jackson amazing performance that man is never anything but the villain of that movie he is always the bad guy in that movie right so even if you can be like oh that was a cool line of dialogue or all this ordell's like a cool motherfucker yeah he still is the bad guy you know you have to you have to have your villain be the villain and you can't have your villains be the heroes and the heroes be the villains and have no moral at the end except that as long as you kill the right people at the right time, like you're cool, like you can get away with it. Like it's just, I don't know, it's 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 wrongheaded and it's dumb and yeah, no. very very pretentious. Anyway, so yeah, I, right, and that that's that's why I dislike the beginning of it so much. Is like I feel like so much of it is like is pretentious. Um, like God, the, the shot of like like when he's showing all the movies on the window, and then like there's shots of like Stalin there as well, and it's like, Jesus, like what are you doing? Like, do you know why Stone wanted to do this? Like, or what he wanted to do initially? He wanted to do an action movie. 
and this is what it turned into is him picking up this script and then changing it and making this <laughs> um it's like you're right the dude can't keep his own bullshit out of out of his movies um and yeah this this at my age now in my 40s this is a mess of a film both on the screen and and conceptually i think like uh, of what he's trying to get across um yeah so i guess there ends our dissertation on why natural born killers is (laughs) is a really bad film um and here's and here's the ultimate condemnation to this movie and I, i i i legitimately feel this way people still talk about reservoir dogs and Pulp Fiction, right. and yeah. even stuff like Seven, and um, less and less though know. about Seven, though I've noticed. Right, because Seven suffers from some of the same things in its pretension yeah. and it's like, yeah, poorly laid out like plot twists and whatever. Yeah. No one cares about Natural Born Killers today. I was really surprised to see it pop up on Netflix the other day. Right. Um, because you and I had talked about how we were gonna have to pay to watch it anyway, and then all of a sudden it was free, which right. was a blessing. But right. yeah. More and more as time goes on, this movie loses any relevance to it's much more horrific just to turn on TV anymore. Like you don't need to see some smug um you know, fucking Sandinista director like talking down to you about why you shouldn't you know watch so much news and horror like you know action movies or violent movies or why you shouldn't appreciate seeing like nudity on screen or sex because that's another thing that he's right like railing against here and it's just like it's it's wrong-headed and it's not interesting anymore and yeah and and right the the world has changed like any any criticism of media propping people up and stuff like that like um Cremo, like from the mass shooting on the Fourth of July, is the most I've seen a mugshot in a while of anybody. Um, it's like, in fact, it's like hard to find information sometimes on mass shooters. Um, like, I still haven't like necessarily heard like unless I because I haven't searched it, but it's like through mainstream media sources, I haven't got like necessarily the manifesto on the Uvalde shooter. I don't even remember the guy's name because they're not even, they, they don't talk about it as much. Um, where Cremo survived, so they're like, his name's popping up everywhere all the time. They, they are getting better about like not propping up these killers as um, people that you should be interested in, stuff like that. So like that's changed um you know i mean it's been debunked about movies and stuff causing violence so you're right i mean this is like lost a lot like thematically it's lost a lot of relevancy over time and i think from a filmmaking standpoint you've seen a lot of the kind of stuff he's doing done better yeah i never thought about that but you're right like compared to like movies of the same time period um some things hold up and some things don't people still talk about to this day and um this isn't this isn't one of them right i don't hear anybody saying like you know like man like can't wait to wait to rewatch like natural born killers and that's the sad thing is i i was i was kind of excited to watch this 
I think that's why, like, I'm so, like, uh, hype on, like, you know, like, this episode about talking about is because I'm, I was really disappointed. Um, because I haven't seen it in so long, but yeah. <sighs> so I'm sorry, Frank, that I suggested okay. this. <laughs> so here's the thing like, you said you've seen this six times. It's probably the same thing for me. Yeah. I'm almost positive I saw it twice in the theater and then on VHS. And then I've, I've watched it in the past 10 years. So I've seen it even more recently. Um, it's like any other artifact of its time, right? Like, there's always some, from a historical perspective, always some benefit to like looking at where you came from. And, you know, it helps, I think, to appreciate other things that have come after um, that are much better, you know, social criticisms, you know, but mostly in the tele, in terms of television. Like, television has probably become the best media for just critiquing itself and, you know, sort of like giving you entertaining stories while still mm-hmm. showing whatever, like, stuff like the wire and justified and the shield and whatever that sure um and i think that oliver stone is kind of proven himself to just be sort of a hack you know like a guy that yeah he's still gonna put out movies because he's got a name um but he doesn't really do anything interesting he's very motivated by his own political beliefs and it kind of gets in the way of him making kind of gets in the way of him making interesting films um I don't think you can take anything away from Woody Harrelson or Robert Downey Jr. or Julia mm-hmm. Lewis or Tommy Lee Jones or even like Sizemore. Um, there's some good performances in this movie and there's a couple of scenes that are worth watching. But by and large, you're not missing anything by not seeing it. And I don't think it right. really holds up or has any real cultural significance like yeah. no. going forward. Yep, yeah, I think that's fair. Um but I'm terrified though, because I already like figured out like one of the movies that I don't think we'll talk about for many, many years. Um, that I that I want to do one of these episodes on. So I'm like terrified now to watch that movie because I haven't mm. seen it in like fucking at least 15 years, if not longer. So, um, but yeah. So I'm gonna put a big disclaimer whenever this gets posted, uh, <laughs> letting everybody know that there's very little positive that's being said about this movie. <laughs> just so people can skip it if they want to we um, are shitting on this film yes all right so thank you for oh oh yeah it has a good soundtrack it does oh right yeah right i don't think i don't think the music is used 100 percent appropriately at different times yeah i think it's way too obvious but start to finish there's good music in this um yes there absolutely is and i um i i did you own the soundtrack? Nah, because nah, I, I had I had like um whatever pretty hate machine, and I owned some other. I own the L seven album that the songs are from on here. So I didn't well, this introduced me to Leonard Cohen, so I ended up buying it. Um, and yeah, like um, and and those are the things that stand out the most to me. And this is is Leonard Cohen, like um songs that kind of um bookend the movie but um but yeah no it was a good soundtrack overall i did notice that all right thank you for listening everybody yep thank you